Hello, this is Sharon Steitler, the bird chick, and I am here with non-birding Bill. Hello. And it is our goal to podcast throughout the year <laughs> at some point. Okay. Um, so, hey, we have a letter from the last podcast. Okay. Uh, somebody says they like listening to it. Good. <laughs> um, but so. no, this is from uh, John Anderson. And he said that NBB asked about the causes of the decline of house sparrows in Europe. Yes, I did. And for some reason, I had this in my, quote, files uh-huh. here at work. Uh-huh. So um, it is... Uh, a, it a, turns out it was him. Yes, John <laughs> is the reason why house sparrows are on the decline. Um, no, actually, it says investigating the causes of the decline of the urban house sparrow. Uh, sparrow? Sparrow. Sorry, so sorry. Indiana? No, my problem is I was reading the headline and then I saw that there was a Latin name coming, Passer Domesticus, uh, and I was like, how sparrow passer? I have to do Latin. I have to go to Latin brain. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, John even very helpfully highlighted for me uh, the, the gist of the article, but it okay. says, the data presented in this thesis suggests that the abundance... So help me God if this is inconclusive. I'm going to find this guy and punch him in the nose. The abundance of invertebrate prey within home ranges of house sparrows breeding... Within suburban and rural garden habitats limits the quantity and quality of the chicks they are fledging. The combined effects of relatively high rates of chick starvation and low body masses at fledging. Wait, uh, because they're abundant, they're starving to death? No, 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 no. That if if there is an abundance of Uh insects, they do well. If there's not, they don't do well. Oh, okay. And this kind of goes back to that whole thing that they've been doing studies like, hey, you know what? We've had like a 90% decline of invertebrates in a lot of places. So so basically it is more that, hey, there's no food. So they killed off the insects. Insects, but it also was talking, I was reading in in here that a lot of them are eating things like spiders. So all uh-huh. you people that are just like, ooh, spiders, you want the house sparrows because the house sparrows apparently are going to love to eat those spiders. All right. Okay. Speaking good. of which, did you see the video I posted of the guy who's trying to take the dust off the feet of a wolf spider? I did. Before we change topic, thank you, John, for, for answering oh, yes. that question. That was uh, That is, if you are a longtime listener of this podcast, I apologize. But that is something that I have often wondered about is why are they doing so, why are European house sparrows doing so well over here when they are declining and perhaps endangered over in Europe? Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, and this data was from 2001 and 2003. Right. So the house sparrows cannot live on seed alone seems right. to be, uh, ah. yeah. All right, so put out some bugs for your European house sparrows. So getting back to what you were talking about. Did you video, see the video I posted? I did. Uh, I did watch that video. It was very adorable. It was adorable. It was a guy who was apparently not a fa- Why was he taking care of the spider? He seemed scared of the spider. Um, I think he found the spider in his house and oh. noticed that the spider was having trouble because right. it had all this dust on it and it couldn't really move. So yeah, he decided to help it. And I have to admit, it wouldn't be a spider I necessarily would want to touch. It was, like a, was it a wolf spider? A wolf or a spider, spider? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's kind of a big spider. It's, it's a huge not, spider. Not, not, a, not dangerous to humans, but a big spider. No, 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 no. But it's not something you want to mess with. But the so great he thing- sort of had it cornered and he was using a ruler and an X-Acto blade to try to get the dust off the feet. And the weird part was eventually the spider sort of figured this out. That Yeah, because at first the spider was not having it. It's yeah. like, it wants to fight, but it's yeah. like, I can't do anything with this dust. And then Ooh. the guys are doing it. And then, like, one by one, the spider's just like, okay, here's my foot, now get this one. It's lifting the foot off, and then the guy's scraping a lot of the dust off, and then he sort of just moves from foot to foot, and the spider lifts it. It's really, it really incredible. Either the spider figured it out, or figured out he wasn't a threat, or just... This guy just is any naturalist dream. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh. So... 
So can you imagine that if he's like dating a regular girl? Yeah. I shouldn't say regular because they're also regular boys who have a, a fear of spiders. And they're just like, honey, yeah. honey, there's yeah. a spider. And they're expecting them to kill it. And he's like, I took care oh, of it's it. got dust. Let me get some dust. <laughs> I took care of it, honey. I got all the dust off its feet so it can climb the walls again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind spiders in my house. No. I don't know that I would want a wolf spider in our house. Do you know how pesticide or how pest free we would be? Nonetheless, it's a. I mean, I, I don't have. I when I was a kid, I had a fear of spiders. I don't necessarily have a. Granted, if a big spider jumped out at me, I would probably scream and jump back because that's what I do. But I don't. You know, I don't necessarily. I, that's good. I want the spider to go where the spider needs to go. I do not necessarily want that big of a spider in our house. I think that spider doesn't really want to be in the house anyway. No. It's something that it prefers to be outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but I'm good. It was a it was a cute video of and somebody had to be there to film this unless he had like a little. No, I GoPro. think he had it. I think he had a GoPro because uh, you can hear him moving it as he's oh, doing sure. it. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so it's nice. It's nice to see an interaction between humans and nature that doesn't end in tragedy and perhaps ends in some sort of remote form of communication speaking of communication we're gonna have to take a, a pause here because you're gonna have to go get the cilantro because he's not gonna leave us alone our rabbit podcast. just heard us talking so he knew that we were suckers so he's here looking for treats and we're back did you know that some birds sleep in giraffe armpits what <laughs> is that the name of the building they live in it's from net geo so it's got to be true oh yeah weren't they bought um, out by murdoch uh newspapers recently that's why I call them Nat Geo. Ah, okay. Although apparently, uh, their editor just had an article saying, hey, you know what? Some of the stuff we reported on was kind of racist. Not kind of racist, was actually racist, and we apologize, and we have to acknowledge how terribly we have handled talking, writing about Native tribes over the oh, years. Sure. And I was like, wow, go National Geographic. Oh, okay. So, um, anyway, that, I thought that was good. So, uh, that gives me hope. For the organization. But anyway, back to uh, National Geographic. Um, uh, people have been taking pictures of giraffes at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, birds are actually roosting on giraffes. Oh, I suppose that would be very warm. It would, yeah. And um, i got to figure nothing's going to, you know, the, if something comes up to startle the giraffe, it's going to give you time to get, get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah, but what's interesting is I'm looking at this picture now, and it's like technically these aren't armpits, and very clearly well, they don't have arms. <laughs> I mean, they're, so, they're they're hanging out in the uh, in the giraffe's uh, what is that leg pit? Yeah. Well, I mean, is it the? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously not the armpit, but I know the part that is like where the where the uh, leg connects to the torso, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, but but some of them the are very clearly, I'm just going to show you this picture, are very yeah. clearly in the crotch area. Oh. <laughs> that looks like it's roosting on the giraffe testicles. Oh, do the giraffes uh, sleep standing up? I would assume so. Oh, I didn't know that. It. But, uh, um, I, yeah, but I don't I don't know if the giraffe is sleeping, but the birds certainly are. That's but weird. The, the, okay. the, the, that See, bird is, two of those birds are very clearly roosting on the giraffe's testicle. I, get, I would have to say I was because I thought that they were laying down and like the bird would be you know the leg would be folded up and that's where like they would make a little cubby hole but like no they've got to be hanging on to something. Well, that's how woodpeckers sleep. Oh, really? Woodpeckers don't sleep like uh, passerines. So you know how <laughs> the impression you're doing is translating really well into okay. the podcast. So remember our cockatiel? Yes. He would when he would sleep he would be on one foot and uh-huh. he'd turn his head around and like bury it in the back of his shoulders. Yes. 
Woodpeckers don't stand on a perch like that. Uh-huh. They cling to the inside of a cavity oh. and do Boy, that. Well, that's going to be painful for the giraffe to have something clinging Hanging. to your... Just... Having something clinging to your balls? Yeah, yeah. I think that, that, that would, would be... be... Yeah, or yeah. maybe they're into it. I don't know. I, well, they, you do you, giraffe. They, they're probably used to it, but you know how you just get used to parasites? <laughs> I don't know. And frankly, I'm a little alarmed that you thought you could tell me that. Do you not know how many parasites <laughs> oh you have God. on you right now? Do we want well, to just talk about see. the parasites in your eyebrow? Well, I've got the rabbit here who won't leave me alone until I give him <laughs> treats. So, oh, and I forgot to mention these birds have a great name. They're oxpeckers. <laughs> so the giraffe has... Why don't they call them giraffe peckers? <laughs> the giraffe has uh, oxpeckers roosting in its testicles. No, are they called oxpeckers because they hang around oxes? or because? Um, no, because they have this weird habit of uh, pecking God. on oxes oh. and si- sipping the blood. Oh, so, so they're vampires. So, vampire birds hanging from giraffe testicles. That's what this, this story is, the is all about. stupidest Netflix pitch I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> now, if I were uh, Edinburgh, though, this would just sound like the most interesting thing ever. Anyway, so... I missed that video where the guy was doing Attenborough, but he, like, hated animals. Oh, my God, this is disgusting. This animal is shit. <laughs> okay, so, uh, speaking of shit... A previously unknown super colony of Adelie penguins has been discovered in the Antarctic. Is it Adelaide or Adelie? It's A-D-E with an accent, a G U L I E. Okay. Isn't that Adelie? I've never heard this word. Well, actually, they're called that because the actual name of them is like jackass penguin. (laughs) And that goes over like a fart in church and field guys. You can't just say, hey, NASA found this colony, this super colony of jackass penguins. Well, but you can have an ox pecker, but not a jackass penguin. (laughs) Well, that's because it's pecking on oxes sometimes. Uh Sure. Like woodpecker and some pecking on It also makes conservation wood. very hard. Can we, get some, really... can we get $10 million to save these jackass penguins? Fuck no. Save some good birds. <laughs> Actually, now it's like, what, what, why don't we call them ball peckers? <laughs> exactly. Testicle peckers. That's ball too hangers. much. That's too much of a mouthful. Ball peckers. So to speak. <laughs> All right. So anyway. So they found a new colony of these. They well, just not noticed them before? Pretty much. Uh, so they were worried about the, the population of this particular penguin because of climate change and losing breeding grounds. Uh, however, uh, they were looking at uh, d- data from NASA uh, from around the Antarctic. So they've discovered this massive super colony of jackass penguins uh, off the Danger Islands, or I guess on the Danger Islands. I know, doesn't it sound like an Austin Powers thing? I think this is a made-up story. I think this is something that was generated by one of those neuro-linguistic computers. Jackass penguins find Danger Island. Until recently, the Danger Islands weren't known to be an important penguin habitat. (laughs) They weren't thought to be that dangerous. (laughs) Then we found all these penguins. Turns out the penguins are... What was the secret of Danger Island? Penguins. Actually, it it wasn't penguins. It's something else, and I'm going to get to it. Because the story's going to get even better for you. Oh, my God. Okay, so they didn't think about Danger Island. However... (laughs) No one ever does until it's too late. This changed when scientists noticed guano stains on NASA's satellite imagery of the islands. How did it get all the way up there? (laughs) A telltale sign of a massive penguin colony. Now, was this a lot of little penguins or one giant penguin? (laughs) It's a lot of little penguins making a gigantic shit stain. So that's what I just love is like, oh, NASA, let's look at these islands in the Antarctic. Hey, you know what? That just looks like a massive amount of bird guano there. So we can't call them... Jackass penguins, but we can call it Danger Island. Yes. All well, right. we, we can. They prefer right. to be called Adelie sure. penguins. I don't know if that's exactly how to pronounce it. It's one of those words that I've only read that I've never actually heard <laughs> out loud. Maybe it's Jacasse. 
you ever think about that? Jacas. Jacas. Uh, <laughs> Thank All you, right, George so, R. R. Martin. Right, so anyway, so we don't need to worry about these penguins. There's well, lots of I mean, them. we need to study them for sure. But what's really fascinating is they did something that uh, where I see bird surveys going is they went out to. Somebody was like, hey, I noticed a big poop stain out on this island. I think someone should give me some grant money so I should go check out and see if there are penguins here. This is here. the beginning of King Kong. We need to investigate Danger Island. <laughs> what's, what's there? Poop. <laughs> Here's your funding. <laughs> this is one of those jobs that we advertised, wasn't it? So they went. And Who they wants went there. to go to Danger Island and look at poop? No, they went there with a drone that systematically counted all the penguins. Like, they, they programmed sure. the drone to fly the transects. And I, I find this very fascinating as someone right. who's had to do aerial surveys because I think you're going to get a far more accurate oh, yeah. count. Yeah. It's also going to be much safer. Granted, you can't really test that with a penguin colony because uh, you're not going to get too many penguins flying into the drone. Right. But uh, even so, it's still a lot safer to do that. But, uh, yeah, just I, my favorite part of the story, though, is like, we're looking at NASA images, and we noticed a bunch of poop. we got to go explore that. Someone got a job doing... Someone got training to pilot a drone to do high-end nature photography. What'd you do, Earl? I uh, went to Danger Island. Cool! To photograph poop. Well, no, they photogra- photographed the penguins. The poop sure. was just what told them. The poop was the guide. <laughs> Let poop be your guide. Oh, my God. That is... That is that's, that's my... Anyway, coming to Netflix 2018, the poop, the, the jackass poop of Danger Island. I just kind of, I, I can see the Netflix trailer yeah. now. In a world yeah. where you thought you knew all the penguins that were oh, out there. Oh, they don't do that in a world stuff anymore. That's old, that's old hat. Well, that's because the guy that did that. Hey! Hey, don't be yelling at the podcast listeners. Sorry, my rabbit is trying to tear my pajamas. Okay, you've had enough treats. I don't know if we want to include that in the podcast. (laughs) Okay, so I linked to something recently, and again, this is something that I have only read, I've never heard out loud. It's called Gigrin Farm. Okay. G-I-G-R-I-N. Okay. Uh, The Red Kite Feeding Center. So in the United States, these kites are not like kites that we know. Think of them as being more like Harrier-esque. Okay. So these are red kites, and and they... Oh, yeah, I remember Richard, the British uh, falconer we knew, he would... They he's Welsh. Thank you very much. I'm oh, sorry. Well, anyway, he's, anyway, he would refer to kites as, and I remember that was a thing. Yeah. 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 So we have kites in the United States, but these kites are not quite like those kites. Our, these kites are more like our. <laughs> They're boxes. They have funny faces painted on them. <laughs> so anyway, kites will uh, flock together. Sure. Especially well, on warm, windy days. Well... <laughs> Get the kids out in the park. He's such a dick. Okay. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I've seen it in Israel. They, they're, they're in these big flocks. Right. So there is a farm where you can go, and apparently they feed these kites. And oh, right. so we have a video, and going to this uh, Gigrin Farms uh, Facebook page, it is just video after video of these gigantic swarms of kites, and they're basically taking, I think they're using, like, little tiny chunks of rabbit and just, like, oh. throwing that out. Sorry, Duke. Sorry, rabbit. Um, uh, and the kites, it's a beautiful sight. And, and, and so I posted it because it was absolutely fantastic. But then after I posted it, I was like, wow, if people were like shoveling out piles of meat and these were like gigantic flocks of owls, everybody would be losing their minds. I'd be there. I'd, be I'd watch that. Well, so this place is like set up because if you look at the video, you can see behind the guys that are tossing out the meat to right. the kites that there are blinds behind them. Right. So I was like, I have to know more about this. Why is this happening? Why, are, why is it okay to feed these birds of prey? So apparently, this is a family-run upland sheep farm. Oh, okay. 
And uh, it became the official red kite feeding station in the winter of 92-93 following a request from the RSPB, which is the Royal Society for Protection of Birds, Mm -hmm. that had witnessed uh, Mr. Powell, apparently who owned the farm, uh, feeding the kites uh, when uh, food was available. And they were like, hey, maybe if you feed these kites and put up blinds so people mm-hmm. can watch people won't disturb these birds at the nest I and mean, everybody oh, can just come here and so it's just kind of continued over the years and uh and it's it so it says here uh we, that we should be open to the public as the red kite feeding station and it would have an impact on young kites that were being lost over the winter and would also draw people away from nesting sites well it's interesting i mean they weren't i mean i understand why they did that to mm-hmm. you know protect the nesting sites, but aren't I guess there's not a fear that they would be uh, socializing them to humans or well, I mean it's not like they're hand feeding the kites. Okay. You know, they're just like throwing it out, and the kites are like. Please tell me the them. people are dressed in kite costumes no. as they're throwing. This- <laughs> no, this is not like the Crane Foundation where you're like dressed like a crane, which or the guys who uh, take care of baby pandas who are dressed as pandas. Well, dressing like a panda is cool. <laughs> That's cool. Where is this place? Um, I think it's in Wales. Oh, nice. So it says Gigrin is now uh, also the Red Kite Rehabilitation Center in conjunction with the Welsh Kite Trust. So that nice. makes me think that. Oh, yeah, it is some place that I can't pronounce, so it oh, must be in yeah, Wales. Yeah, so it's Welsh. Now. <laughs> it's in something. Four P-O- M's, a G, and an L, and a Y. P O W Y S. That sounds like. Did I tell you about the. I told you the story about the. The British street sign that had the Welsh translation. Yes. Okay. But I don't know if the podcast listeners heard that. Oh, no, it was just a funny story I read online. Like, there was, they have to, in this area, it's like a law that there has to be the English name and also the Welsh name because they're trying to preserve the Welsh language. And so the guy sent the, can you please tell me what this says in, how this is spelled in Welsh? And he came, got the response back and put it on the sign. And what it actually says in Welsh is, I'm out of the office until Tuesday. <laughs> Richard, and I just find this to be true in general, when he was talking about being a young man and when the pubs would close and they have to, you know, go find other places to go, that he would just oh, walk that's around. A, that's a Billy Connolly joke. That was a Billy Connolly joke? I thought that was a Richard joke. No, oh, well, never mind. I'm not going to do it then. <laughs> I can't believe I've been will- believing that a Welsh man told me a Billy Connolly joke. It was basically like you walk around the neighborhood and you listen for somebody singing. Howdy, howdy. And that's where you know the uh, after hours party is. <laughs> Go there. <laughs> All right. Next story. Um, oh, there's been a, co- a hawk living in Costco. Oh, yes. I think, I believe I sent you this story. Uh, yes. Uh, well, you sent me one of the things about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to link to this, and you should watch the video when you see it, because I cannot do it justice, because 9news.com in Colorado. Somebody decided to do the uh, the South Korean news uh yeah, because there's like the animations there's, and reenactments, yeah. and some intern decided to have a little fun with this story. They had so much fun with it, and and I enjoyed watching it. So the basic gist is, a young Cooper Hawk got into a Costco, mm-hmm. as 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 happens from time to time, sure. and they can't get the hawk out. <laughs> I wonder if it was trying to chase a bird into a window, and then the like motion activated doors opened, and that's they both probably went in. what happened. Oh, that's wow. probably what that would be my guess. So, so they can't get the hawk out. Right. And at one point, the employees was like, well, we're just going to open the door. And then right. it'll just, we'll just leave the doors open all day and it'll fly out. They left the doors open all day. Some pigeons flew in. I hate the pigeons. It, it killed one. <laughs> 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 
Thanks. Thanks, humans. <laughs> so eventually, I don't know how, but the Costco hawk escaped. Sure. The, the follow-up story with the news station is they, they're they like, mm-hmm. we have breaking news tonight. You know, the mm-hmm. Costco hawk has escaped. And they have a dramatic reenactment. <laughs> and it's this super grainy pixelated footage of a bald eagle. And it says reenactment. Yeah. This is not the Costco hawk. This isn't even a hawk. <laughs> Stop being so judgy. And it's just, and I'm like, I, I love this new station so much. You you speak to me on a visit. Benny, you've been, you've been making coffee for six months. Here's your break. Make a story. Thanks, Chief. <laughs> I was just like, I just, I just love that about the Costco hawk. All right. <laughs> All right, so now we have to talk about something controversial. All right. I feel like this headline is a little misleading. I love all the organizations involved that I'm about sure. to talk about. Is this about Burger's Flock? Oh, God. If, if, uh, we should have another drink. Mm. Sorry, folks. I momentarily misinterpreted that as a suggestion. So we had to get a drink for this. Okay, so this is an Audubon headline. Okay. eBird is now censoring sightings for 325 at-risk species. Oh, okay. I, I have mixed feelings about... A lot of these things. Okay, so number one, I knew this was coming. I had heard that this was a thing that was going to happen over a year ago. And at the time, I was like, yeah, I don't know if you should do that. And then at the time when when the reasoning was explained to me, I thought, oh, that makes sense. So I don't know that I would call it censoring. So here's the thing. If you have an eBird account and you want to report your birds, go have at it. Report the birds. eBird compilers will see it. And also, if someone is looking for a particular species, like they're a researcher, after they've been vetted by eBird, right. they will get access to these specific points. But there are some birds, like, let's say, uh, I know there's a deer falcon being reported right. in Duluth. In the past, I've used my little bird's eye app, and I'm like, oh, that's where everybody's seeing it. That's where I'm going to hang out. So some species, like deer falcon and some of the species of owls and things like that, are, when you look for them, you can see them in like a 20-kilometer block. Okay. You can't see where the birds are actually being reported. Sure. And for some of these, I'm like, mm, that's when it gets into some of the owl stuff. I think mm. that's a little over the line. But with a lot of the species that they are blocking, or they're just giving vague descriptions for people, regular people to see, uh-huh. it's to prevent poaching. And we're mm. looking at sensitive species where, like, they're being caught, right, to the point where, like, Ortolan bunting. That would be. Uh, the, that's the bird where like people cover their head. Oh, sure, sure, you sure, know sure. that that would make sense. Or or, or birds. This is this affects a lot of birds over in Europe and well, Asia. Yeah, no, I remember back when Project Snowstorm was uh, first like being introduced. Mm-hmm. It's like they were giving you access to the live data, and then some guy used it to a falconer used it to catch an owl, and that was uh, a controversial. Like that was an upsetting decision. They decided either to delay it or not release it until the end of the season. My concern, I was like, I understand why they're doing that, and I think that's a good idea. If I were a birder, which obviously I am not, I would understand why they were doing that. I wonder if that is going to hamper, if that's going to decrease the usage of the app. I don't think it's going to... I mean, can you still see your data, I guess? Oh, yeah, I can see my data. But I mean, okay, so case in point, uh, I have a patch. There's no Mm -hmm. secret that I have a patch. (laughs) 
there was an eastern screech owl who has disappeared. Uh, he disappeared because, not because of disturbance. I CIA. He went to no. Danger Island. <laughs> he went to Danger Island. He disappeared because uh, uh, the city did some uh, tree removal. Mm-hmm. Ever since the tree removal happened, I've not seen the screech owl. But when the screech owl was there, the screech owl made it very clear. It's like, I don't. I, I'm not down with photography. Like, mm-hmm. would always roost in spots where it was super hard to see it. Sure. It was not, no, you could never get a photo without this bird, you know. And, and the few times I think I took you to see it and I took our neighbor to see it one day. And both times when I did that, the very next day, it would roost higher in the tree. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this bird was communicating, I don't want to be looked at humans. Right. Whereas, you know, there have been snowy owls with that. There have been four photographers under them under a pole, and the bird yeah. is still successfully hunting. It's like, oh, this bird doesn't care. Right. But, um, but I've seen a lot of falconers get bent out of shape online about this. And they're like, it's not us. I'm like, gosh, falconers, I, I understand why you're feeling to Wait, blame. falconers right? or photographers? Falconers. Okay, they're getting upset because, like, deer falcon is one of the birds that's being hit. Yes. And because of uh, poaching, specifically mm-hmm. for falconry. And so falconers in North America oh, well, are getting it- bent out of shape. But I'm like, you you do know deer falcons are circumpolar, and that this is more of an issue in the Middle East than it is here in the United States. Is it poaching if you're a falconer? If you have a license? Uh, well, you can, uh, 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 okay. So an apprentice falconer, I don't think even a general falconer can uh-huh. get um, a a deer falcon, uh-huh. but a master falconer, which in Duluth I have seen. Sure. So in Duluth, if. Let's say you wanted to set up a banding station in Duluth and you got permission to do mm-hmm. that. And a a hatchier uh-huh. deer falcon came into your net. Mm-hmm. If you were a master falconer, you would be allowed to keep that bird for a couple of years. Okay. And I have okay, actually witnessed just, that happening. Sure. I just, I'm just was curious about the, that use of that term, poaching of falconers. Okay. Well, let me, let me be clear about poaching. That's legal. What I just mm-hmm. described is legal. I've actually seen it happen. Sure. It's incredibly rare. It's sure. not yeah. something that happens all the time. So if a, let's say an adult deer falcon shows up in Dakota County, Minnesota, a falconer can't just go out there and trap that and then hunt with mm-hmm. it. Sure. Nor would they want to with an adult. But there is a market specific. So deer falcons come in three different color morphs. There's right. dark, there's gray, and then there's white. Okay. And so especially for the Arctic white deer falcon, mm-hmm. there's a huge market for that and poaching that happens. But that's more something that you see happen in the Middle East. And sure. this is a species that's circumpolar. So I would feel like <coughs> the so, locations for those So birds... the concern is that people are going to be poaching these animals for sale somewhere else rather than falconers taking them illegally. But falconers still would they like see to know falconry where these birds being are. one of the excuses. And okay. so North American falconry falconers okay. are like they're trying to avoid. Like, and let's be guys, clear. it's not you. It's not you. Let's be clear. I know falconers. I, I like fal- I think falconry is interesting. I think fal- I'm, I am okay with falconry. I know some people are not. Falconers, as you have explained to me in the whole uh, preservation of the peregrine falcon. Oh, thing, yeah. That we would not have peregrines. They got fucked. Let's be honest yeah, yeah. about that. <laughs> But the, and that's the other thing. It's like, and then like I've seen some falcons like, do you know how much we contribute to conservation? I was like, yes, yes you do. I do. Yes, you do. Do you know, in the grand scheme of things, how? Mm. To, I mean, when birders are always talking about mm. we do X, Y, and Z, and it's like falconers are even smaller yeah. than the birding population. And yeah. it's like I love you, but it's like falconers in North America. This this isn't yeah. about you. And birders in North America, this isn't necessarily is this, about okay, you. How is this affecting? Like, so uh, assuming that. 
I know that you're collecting this data for scientific, that eBird is collecting this data for scientific research and all this information. For people who are using this for bird watching, I want to see a cool bird. How is this affecting them? Are these. You can still see a lot of cool birds. However, yeah, if you want to but... do the, use the Bird's Eye app to like find your spotted owl. <laughs> to find more cool birds, check out your local library yeah. or your Costco. Well, if you want to do that to find your spotted owl, if you want to use mm. it to find, you know, uh, what was the other? Uh, was it? I forget which one of the northern owls, but I knew, yeah. I, I was going to go to Zach Zimbog recently and I, I went in and opened Bird's Eye and I'm like, Okay, why am I not? I forget which owl species it was. It wasn't boreal. I think it was. <laughs> I think it was. What kind of owl species was it? Like? No, no, but it was like in the past what I would just do. It's yeah, like, oh, I people know. are seeing it here. I'm going to go here. That's being obscured. So yeah. for me, that's a little annoying. Right. I understand it. But I also. But you're also like, a very good birder. I'm a good birder, but I also, like, I will talk to guides I know up there. Yeah. Like, and, and the guides I told them was like, I don't want to hire you for the day. I just, I'm, I'm taking, I'm, I'm just driving around on my own with some friends. Yeah. Can you tell me the intersection at least? And yeah. you don't have to tell me X marks sure. the spot. And I will pay you for this. So what? Okay. So so owls and like rare, you know, lesser prairie falcons, chickens, yeah. Gunnison <laughs> sage grouse. Okay. Oh, interesting. Regionally sensitive populations of painted buntings in Florida, ah. which that gets back to that whole thing of them being trapped for the whole song fighting trade, oh, and also is something uh, in Cuba. It is a thing. I recently wrote about this in my blog to catch buntings. I'm not the only person who wrote about this. Someone else wrote about this, but I saw it firsthand in Cuba. Buntings are part of the pet trade, and um, they have song fights with them. And so if you're painted bunting as this amazing singer, you can make all this money. And so when uh, people from Cuba come to Florida and they start trapping Mm -hmm. the buntings because that's just part of their culture, and like, what do you mean I'm going to get arrested and fined for this? Why aren't you going after drug dealers? Which I... That, I mean, it's that that is an education thing that we need to work on there. But this is also to try and protect this. Uh, It's okay. Out of the entire world, three hundred and twenty-five at-risk species. So it's not going to affect a lot of American species. It's going to affect some. All right. And basically, what this is saying is that if you want to try and find these species, you're going to have to look, or you're going to have to ask people to know. No problems. No, I just think it's fascinating because when I first heard that this was something eBird was considering, I was like. Oh, that's not going to no, be popular. No, I'm not criticizing. I'm not saying technology is bad. I'm saying, like, somebody, and I can't for the life of me, I apologize for this, is talking about, like, any writer can imagine the automobile, but it takes a true visionary to imagine the traffic jam. It's mm. like, you can think about, oh, what would make our lives better? And then you need to think about what is the implication of this new technology. Great. Everybody can enter all the bird data that they see across the country, it will be available instantly live to everybody. Yeah. Poachers can use that. Yeah. Rather no, than no, opposed yeah. to the, the bent life histories where it's, you know, five years of work and it comes out later and it's like... And I think that's what comes down to owls and stuff. It's like, oh, we can't... Uh, owls yeah. are cool. Let's share this information. Nobody anticipated 100 mm-hmm. people coming to see an owl. And and, and, it, and it goes back to... Uh, as it always does, in Malcolm and Jurassic Park. You know, we we're mm. so busy thinking about whether or not we I could, we didn't stop to think whether or not we should. He's the worst. Well, he's a mathematician, so he's not a scientist. <laughs> but he's the worst character. He's like, he doesn't understand how science, he doesn't understand the iterative qualities. Like, he actually says, you stood on the shoulders of giants. And it's like, the quote is, we may stand on the shoulders of giants, 
but we're taller than them, so we can see. That's how science works, Malcolm. That is such a really terrible quote about science. But he he, he was right in in, in a lot of life. Uh, fine. Yeah, and he also took his uh, gymnastic daughter uh, back to the. <laughs> oh, he's a, he is Ian Malcolm is probably the clearest idea of what Hollywood writers think a scientist is. Oh yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. He's very he's. He's, I enjoyed him in the book. Yeah. But. Yeah, he's I, kind of the only person who's not an asshole in the book, which yeah. is amazing. Because the, yeah. No, you know, I'm are sorry. Are you thinking about the book? I, I was thinking about the book. I was thinking no, about. Well, I guess the two, like the Sam Neill and the Lord Durant, like they don't turn on each other. Everybody else is a complete asshole. Like even at the end, like um, who's the main guy, the, the Attenborough character? Oh, Hammond. Hammond is like, he's blaming his grandkids for getting in trouble right before he gets uh, killed in the book. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. And he doesn't even get killed by one of the cool dinosaurs. No. He gets killed by the house sparrows yeah. of the dinosaurs. The compies. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I also, I was just thinking, like, the most terrifying part of that book when, when I was... So, if you've mm-hmm. not read the Jurassic Park book, at least the first one anyway, yeah. I read the first, I read both of them, it's really good. It's really good. And it's, it's good way more terrifying book. than the than the movie. Yeah. It's well, way more terrifying. Of, and I know that I know it's a it's a re, like let me be clear. Jurassic Park is a really good movie and yeah, I really a, enjoy it. Yeah, it's a fun romp. But it is a very it's a Steven Spielbergian. The idea of the the idea of the movie is man, this this would have been okay if it wasn't for that evil fat dude. We could have had dinosaurs everywhere. It wasn't the idea, it wasn't, yeah. the idea of the book is this was never going to work. This was a horrible idea from the start. This was always going to go wrong. See, actually, I think what the Steven Spielberg movie was like, he read the book and was like, oh, I could make a really fun movie yeah. with these oh, special yeah, effects. No. And, and I, I, I enjoy Jurassic Park. There are a lot of continuity and editing errors in it. Yeah. And I totally see that as Steven Spielberg is kind of like me. He's like, I have this new toy and I'm going to do this. Like, you have all this vignetting it's, here in the center. Who cares? Those, you can see this cool bird in the is, center. It is, yeah. It is one of those movies. I think it still holds up as a movie. I will watch it anytime. But I remember the book and thinking, it's like, well, this is a completely different story of Congo. Congo is a horrible movie and a pretty good book. So here's the thing. Like, I read I read a lot of Michael Crichton, and, mm-hmm. and I had to stop reading Michael Crichton when I, because let's say I read You learned her, his pattern? I learned his pattern, and I was like... Fuck, I know what's going to happen I'm going to start with a bullshit premise that I'm going to explain as if it's real. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm just going to have this really amazing opening where, like... I'm going to explain a theory from a scientist who doesn't exist. Yes. 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 It's still painful. And so that's when it's like... And, and I think Sphere was the book that I read. It was like, oh, I know what's going to happen yeah, now. And I have yeah. to, like, stop reading Michael Crichton. I didn't read Sphere, but it was um, uh, the... The gorilla one? No. Uh, I actually like Congo. Uh the one that was made as the 13th, Eaters of the Dead. And oh, it's like I didn't he's explaining He's explaining that he's translating this from this ancient Arabic text. And it's like, yeah, you're making this shit up. Yeah, no, no. I, I the, the Jurassic Park book uh, is one of my all-time, I, I would put that in like my top 25 oh, books. Oh, no, Jurassic, the first Jurassic Park is a an incredible piece of sentiment. Whole, no, no, totally. no, 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 I'm talking about the book alone. Oh, okay. The book alone. The like thrilling book. The, the opening sequence uh-huh. in the book. And then there's also, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book. I'm just going to give you a chance to, like, fast forward 15 seconds. The T-Rex one is trying to eat the little boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, it's yeah. like the boy is behind the waterfall, and the tongue oh, yeah, comes the tongue in is, yeah. and wraps around, and it's like that. How's your Chuck done. Tingle show coming? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, the Chuck the, Tingle show is going well. I wasn't planning good. on talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> so if anybody in the podcast lives in the Twin Cities metro area. I or live, we'll, I'm in the podcast and I live in the Twin Cities metro area. Or if you uh, are going to be visiting in late April, early May. Um, I adapted the works of Chuck Tingle. Yes, you did. Hugo Award nominated author Chuck Tingle. Mm-hmm. Finalist. If, if you don't know who Chuck Tingle is... Google him when you're not at work. When you're at work, right? Not now. when you're at work. Do not Google when you're at work. And um, yeah, I got permission from Chuck Tingle to adapt some of his short stories into a play, and I have. And Fearless Comedy Productions is producing it. Please, for the love of God, tell me before the lights come up, you're going to be playing the Jurassic Park theme song. <laughs> I have made, since I do have a background in sound design. <laughs> From theater, I have made certain suggestions, and the director is open to some of my suggestions. Right. But the director, I, basically, I just wanted to write this and have someone produce right. it. But no, it's it's an amazing show. It's not. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, one of the characters has elements of an actual bird. Okay, I'm nice. Just, I'm just All gonna right. say this. Don't don't no, 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 don't no. oversell it. I'm just gonna say it involved. A puppeteer to make this character all right and i said this is what i think would happen mm-hmm. and i can tell that they actually uh researched mm-hmm. it because i can tell the species of red-tailed hawk that they used to make right. this character happen <laughs> all right so <laughs> so we've gone from I, cornell lab of ornithology sure. to chuck tingle how did we get here well obviously me uh, all right, what's our? Uh, that, that's do we have one more uh, We have a roadrunner beating the shit out of a snake, which is a fun video uh, to watch. Yeah. That's my that's my final thing. Okay. So was, anyway, a good time. How did we get here? Well, we started talking about that, and then I got us on to Michael Crichton and Jurassic Park, and then we started talking about books and differences. And if then you've you never read a Michael Crichton, and then book. you were describing a dinosaur tongue reaching for uh, a, a little boy, a little boy, which Ew. reminded me of Chuck Tingle. Ew, that's not Chuck Tingle at all. <laughs> Chuck Tingle doesn't do that. So not Chuck Tingle. Chuck Tingle is not, not little boys. Shame on you, Bill Steitler. Shame on you. Anyway. Chuck Tingle is all about adults and consent. Good. Um, also, uh, if someone wanted to read Michael Crichton books, what would you recommend would be their first one? Uh, Jurassic Park. Um, Jurassic Park is a really good one. Um, the Book of Congo is actually pretty good. I feel like um, Jurassic Park or Congo are pretty interchangeable. You could start with either yeah, one. Yeah, they, they really are. Them. Just yeah. read Jurassic Park. Once you've read Jurassic Park, you sort of read them all. And I will say, there are a lot more dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park book. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a birder and you're like, wow, I really want more pterodactyls. I would actually action. recommend people watch his, his movies that he wrote. In, like Andromeda Strain is a really weird and interesting oh, movie. Oh, yeah, it is weird. Um, I like it a lot. Um, Didn't he write ER? He created it, so I assume okay. he wrote like like he wrote the Bible and stuff like that. Um, uh, what was the other movie like? Uh, Looker, if you can find it, is a really what is a str- yeah. That's my he wrote and directed Looker. That's his what? movie. What? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Michael Crichton directed Looker. Yes, uh, as in Looker. She's a looker. Yes, yeah. it's a strange that's that what weirdly. They say. Yes. Okay. Hold on a second. Well, let's just look. Check on your. Your internet machine here. But Wait a minute. I You've just blown my mind that that's Michael Crichton that did Looker. And I remember this because... Uh, we watched it last year. We watched it, but my dad like loved that. This was like one yeah. of the movies my dad would watch over and over Looker again. Looker is an unjustly forgotten. Like, if you watch Looker now, like, it was a slightly silly premise, and now it's completely prescient. 
It is. Oh, yes, it absolutely is. Director Michael Crichton. Yes. Oh my gosh. So folks, let me just uh let me let me just prep you here. Uh-huh. Uh Albert Finney. Albert Finney and Susan Day. Mm-hmm. Albert Finney is Albert the, Finney is your action hero. He's your action hero trying he's to protect a, pr- trying to protect uh, lovely Susan Day, Susan who's Day. the perfect female model. Yes. Uh and isn't James Coburn in this? Yeah, um, James Coburn is like the yeah, corporate guy. Yeah. But no, it's a movie, like, watch this movie and think that it was made in the 80s, and it is completely It really prescient. is. That gun, the, the look. Well, not gun. even the gun. It's the idea that, so Albert Finney is a, a um, plastic surgeon. Yes. And he's, like, trying to work to help people who are getting over disfigurements and stuff. But he also has a thriving career, like, you know, doing plastic surgery for women and men who want to look more attractive. And he has these women who are coming in, these women who are high fashion models, and there's, like... Why do you 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 know you're you're a model you perfect looking and she's like no my nose is one millimeter too wide yeah and it's just it's a real so I would recommend watching the the cinema of uh, so watch Looker if you can find it Andromeda Strain is everywhere Andromeda Strain is a really weird and fun movie uh, you can find the theme song to Looker on Netflix because I listen to it from time to time you find you found it on Netflix um, I'm do sorry. you often listen to Netflix while you're jogging. Spotify. Yeah. I meant Spotify. Sorry, I just invested in Netflix today, so I'm feeling like <laughs> an adult. No, uh, I meant Spotify, but right. wow. You're going to watch Looker, and you're it's very 80s. It is very 80s, and it's also very modern. So, all right, any other stories is for us? Is she really smiling? Yeah. So perfect in every way. Are you just going to sing bum, the rest bum, of Looker? Because I can bum, walk bum, out of there. I can go back bum, to bum, watching bum. whatever movie I was watching, which was probably Looker. Let's be honest. I, I'm pretty sure Looker is what we're going to watch. This is after Bird this. Chick Podcast number 232. If you have any questions for Sharon, she is on Twitter at Bird Chick. You can email her, Sharon at BirdChick.com. You can find her on the Faces book, where I think you are the real Bird Chick or something like that. Um, I think it's. Facebook.com slash the bird chick. I don't know. The bird chick. I don't know. Anyway. There's someone who took bird chick right away yeah, and then like yeah. I like made jokes about it and yeah. then like <laughs> one of their family members pretended to be a lawyer. It's like you need to cease and desist making fun of this. And I was like, okay, whatever, dude. You're a fake lawyer. All right. Uh we'll be back soon. Bye bye.